We're back with episode two of the Dialogue Exchange podcast. Before we begin this podcast, let's do some housekeeping. Moving forward on the last day of every month, we will be releasing a new episode. If you're interested in being featured, have any updates you want us to announce, or know someone who'd be a great fit to the podcast, let us know. We're always looking around for local and global rock stars. You, me, him, her, them, everyone. You can email us on info at thedialogueexchange.com or send us a message through one of our social pages. Just search TD Exchange. You can also message us with any feedbacks or ideas or suggestions. We're more than open to this. All right, so in our first episode, we promised, among other things, that we'd bring you tips, tricks, and insights on building impact-driven companies. With that in mind, we're starting a new segment called Founder Talk. On Founder Talk, we talk about all things entrepreneurship, and this is our first episode of Founder Talk. On today's episode, I'm catching up with three of my good friends and local entrepreneurs in the city of Waterloo in Ontario. They're witty, fun, hardworking, real, and more importantly, incredibly candid. We talked about connecting experiences, building your tribe, candid reviews on incubators, dealing with rejection, managing criticism, and gender, among many, many other things. This is one episode you don't want to miss, so let's get started. Okay, cool. So let's start off with introductions. Um, so if you guys want to go around and introduce yourself in the most unique way possible. <laughs> Always. All right. Yeah. Uh, my name is Will Schmore, and I'm the co-founder of Shelter based in the Velocity Garage. Um, I graduated from Waterloo um, from this program called Global Business and Digital Arts. I'm a non-engineer in a, around a bunch of engineers, um, which is always kind of interesting. Um, I like traveling, I like talking to people, mm-hmm. and I love technology. That's awesome. Awesome. My name is Wes Bush. I'm the founder of Traffic Currency, also the same program as Will. Uh, I guess cool things about me. They don't like doing introductions, that's, that's probably about it. subtle, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, um, my name is Richard Yim, co-founder and current CEO of Landmine Boys. Graduated from mechanical engineering, doing my master in business entrepreneurship technology, and I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I I tend to give up my hobby when I started. Not my boy, so not much interesting other than my startup. <laughs> cool. So you're all working on really different problems or social challenges in your community. So how did you kind of come across finding those challenges, um, and how did it really um, motivate you to do something about it? So I think I was really involved in student experience through a lot of different things when I was in university. And at the end of the day, I think the place where you live is really important. And um, I ended up living in a bunch of different countries and I had to find a place very many times. I never lived in the same place more than once. Um, And it turns out that it's actually kind of hard sometimes to find a new place to live because people don't know the rules. And then in 2014, I started having a lot of interest in the startup community here in Waterloo and from some trips I had done to San Francisco. So I merged the two things uh, together um, through passion. Awesome. For myself, uh, it's been like pretty organic, I guess. So I got into digital marketing about five years ago, basically helping my parents with their real estate business and just kind of looking at pay-per-click and all these other marketing channels that you could really just build a business off of. You get people that are interested in your business, you can really just hire the right staff and build it from there and so I kind of got my gears shifting in my brain and then I was like oh, I'm just gonna learn as much as I can about this and so I've 
been working in tech software as a service for about two years now, whether it's been at Exonify, which is an e-learning platform, or Vidyard, which is basically a video platform for business. And what really kind of bothered me is all these channels that I was paying for, um, for different advertisements or different mediums, you have tons of analytics. You can see really what's working, what's not. But then it got to the whole point of when it comes to changing things on your website, really understanding the impact of search and how people find you, it was just guesswork. And so that's really what kind of got me into this. It's more of like a fun problem where I'm just like, this frustrates me. <laughs> so kind of followed my little anger in that. And that's kind of how I wound up here. It's just really just trying to take that guesswork out of search engine optimization. Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I was born into the problem. You know, I was born and raised in Cambodia. So uh, it's easy to see the landmine problem. I mean, Cambodia is still one of the major problem, one of the major countries that still have uh, a really big problem with landmines. Um, you can see the effects all over the countries, even now, even on my last trip to Cambodia. So it's not a big jump to kind of wanting to solve something that you see such a big problem already in your country. So, so when I moved to Canada, when I have an opportunity to learn skills to solve it, I, it seemed like a perfect time to do it. So that's why I'm working on it. So it seems like there's like a common thread here of connecting experiences and also like global and local exposure to different challenges. So do you think that played a really critical role then? Yeah, I think, I think for me how I would summarize it personally is I have this notion of like always being on your feet. And I think that was really important to me when I was in university was you know, just experiencing the world out there. I think that too much these days people live on social media or people live in small little bubbles and they have their little happy place. But the reality is there are so many problems out there. And I think that's what's cool about being an entrepreneur and that like lens you have of the world. I hope you see a lot of good in the world, but I also see hope that you see a lot of opportunities that you're in opportunist um, and I think when you're really an entrepreneur you think of you know, this thing I'm working on right now might not be the only thing I work on there's so many other sets of problems so it really makes you just want to give it 100% for the current problem you're solving hopefully for the customer and people that you're benefiting yeah yeah I think experiences have like a huge plan in whatever you decide to do because I know at least for myself like the first little business I had was when I was 11 and running my own landscaping thing and I kind of can't happen just because I'm like I'm good at lawn mowing <laughs> so I built a business out of that um, but I know all throughout like I guess the first couple of years of university I was really just focused on how to build a company and that was the wrong approach I realize now where it's okay find a problem that you actually enjoy solving and so I know I kind of stumbled upon this one I'm like well, like, this sucks. And, <laughs> like, how could I fix something like this? Because it's not just frustrating me, it's frustrating a lot of other people. So, yeah, I think, I think Wes definitely hit it on right in the nails. Um, if you don't have, if you never experience the problem itself, it's very hard to get passionate and work on the problem days in and days out and pouring tons of hours into it. And I mean, startup is not always fun, there's going to be a lot of grind work. And so, if you're not passionate about something, it's very hard. To, to do to do to to do your startup and to put a hundred percent into it every day. Yeah, like sweat equity. That's exactly where you start up in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you gotta be working for something you love. <laughs> so in terms of the support that you get in the, the region and in Waterloo in particular, because mm -hmm. we have so many incubators and accelerators and resources that we can reach out to, how do you sort of pick and choose and what are some flaws you're seeing? Flaws in the ecosystem. A lot of overlapping. Yeah, right. yeah, overlapping in what sense? Overlapping in service, overlapping 
mentorship and just event experience. I mean, for starting off, I think it's perfect. For starting off, you want to try to access as many incubators as possible to get access to advisors so they could open more doors for you. Right. Um, but for every incubator, you got to ask yourself too, like, what can you offer the incubators themselves? Right. Um, because a lot of the time, they do look for certain startups to kind of bring the incubator to the next stage yeah. or, or do something with your startups too. And so you got to keep that in mind. But after a while, after you've been in the system for a couple of years, it's, some of the incubator definitely not the right step for you to, to be in. I mean, uh, even some of the good names one, um, if you inside them and they don't offer you much, right? It, it's sometimes you, you kind of allure to the fact that, oh, I'm in this great incubator. I want to be in it, right? Yeah. It's like the name recognition. But yeah. so I, for us, at one point, we just say, you know what? We cannot just quit. We're going to just stop. And, or we're just going to, um, to tell them that we're not getting anything out of them that much because at a certain point, your times will be splitting just updating your advisor. I mean, that's one of the big problems for us too is every big major updates that we have, sometimes we need to go to those incubators to different advisors just updating it like hours and hours and then we have to hit like some suggestion or milestones um, that a couple of those incubators set out for you every few months that you need to hit and it's just ridiculous because it just take away time from yeah. your actual productivity. I think like sure. in this part of the world too, in this particular community, there's so much opportunity that you can almost afford to be kind of picky and choosy about what you choose to go with. Um, and yeah, it's also about, like you said, finding the right fit. Um, when we've joined tech accelerators in the past, there's often that pressure of adapting or pivoting. And then you find that one day when you look back, you're just a completely different um, solution to what you had started off with. I think it's important to like pivot your strategy a bit and to figure out, like adapt to the industry or to the social problem or landscape. But you should always like retain the core. Yeah, I feel that if you listen to all of your mentors and everybody that's giving you these noise, you'll end up becoming nothing. So yeah. it's like a notion known as mentor whiplash. Yeah. And everybody has a different view of what your company is. I think that's why as a as a leader of your company, you have to eventually come to a point where you're asking really pointed decisions, where you're kind of funneling together information where you're making a decision mm -hmm. versus I think people, especially in their first ventures or that don't have a lot of experience, they kind of let other people make decisions for them. And then it, you end up in a business or doing things that, you know, aren't really what you even want to do, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I can't really say much since I just got into one this week. So what, what do you, <laughs> what, what do you But why did you make that decision then? Yeah. yeah. Why? Definitely for the support. Or like, why did you choose yeah. that particular accelerator center? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, for those that don't know, I'm in the accelerator center at the Waterloo campus. And then there's, there's also Communitech, there's Velocity, there's a bunch actually just within the Waterloo region so I guess part of the reason I, I chose this one is because just looking at some of the graduating companies is just get a better idea of like okay those are some of the people that have had success with this program so that's really where I should focus and so if you look at the Exeter Center they can have a lot of high-tech software as a service companies that have done really really well mm -hmm. and so since I'm in that space it just made a lot of sense whereas like Velocity no offense to them they they do everything. And so I really just kind of want to have people that already really just understood the market. Right. And so for some of that mentorship whiplash, <laughs> try and avoid a lot of that by hopefully right. finding some people that are a little more specialized in what they do. Yeah. I yeah. think when we initially started as well, we kind of chased a lot of um, like trophy mentors who can just kind of sit there in terms of their 
um, like exposure or credibility they bring. And I think initially that does help because it helps tr build traction towards your, um, and just build the credibility of your social venture as well. But then ultimately you need people who are actually gonna engage with you and teach you things or give you that honest feedback you really need. Um, yeah, it definitely that chasing that great mentor's name so that you can put on your slide deck. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's and just be like, boom, and yeah. the pitch deck. Like these are the like, people who are endorsing out, me. Right? Yeah. But you know, I <laughs> I have experience in slide decks. <laughs> yeah, in slide decks. I think I've seen you as an advisor on a couple things. No, no, no. My got a lot of pitches. Yeah, um, <laughs> but the advice, no, 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 for us, we believe it or not, we actually don't put a lot of advisors on, actually, I don't believe we put any major advisors on our slide decks. It's basically the connection, the network, or some supporter that we have, mm -hmm. um, like business partners that, that, we, that we put on the slide decks. Um, we, we definitely fall into a problem before, and by before, I mean just like six, seven months ago, when we just trying to chase, you know, like a couple really well-known advisors, um, Toronto regions, and yeah, I think it's, it's, it's about exploring, exploring, it's like going to a relationship, you know, you want to date as many people as you can so that you can pick the right person, right? right. I'm not saying I'm doing that, I'm just saying for advisors, you sure. can do that, you can meet right. so many advisors and mentors during different incubators, different yeah. people that you meet, and you know what, I think we did that, and finally we met a couple of people that's like, absolutely tremendous they want to help us spearhead this great names too and it's about finding that right person uh, to help your business moving forward because sometimes yeah. if the I honestly think like your team in a startup is kind of like your family almost yeah. my litmus test to yeah. see what advisor kind of will be there for you is if they put their reputation on the line for you you know, if they stick yeah. their neck out. Have you seen mentors do that for you in the past? We have mentors that did that for us in the past and we have mentors that just basically give us empty words yeah. um, and and right now we have a couple of mentors that really put a lot out for us and hopefully something coming out of it um, but that's the litmus test I mean I don't want to go into a mentor and mentee relationship where we just meet like once a month and all they say oh yeah good job hey can you take a look into this yeah. they try to do that and that's it you know it's also yeah. about mentors who are able to give you, um, like, provide you with an opportunity at a really early stage. So I've had mentors who have, like, paved the path to give me opportunities for some really great platforms when we were really starting off and had like one or two events in our portfolio. Yeah. And it's a huge risk to take because I could go up there and mess up the whole thing, or it could be like turn into a conversation that gets completely out of hand and like it just turns out to be really messy. But you're right, like, it's about mentors who are like, you know what? No, she needs this opportunity to prove herself. So let's like give her the opportunity she needs and um, put that reputation for that yeah, you know for sure say for, for, for me like when I look for like a mentor slash advisor it's like who's somebody that on a whim's notice so I can just pick up my phone and call them yeah, yeah. Like, that's like really what it is for me like I think you have some moments where you're sitting at your desk or you need to make a decision on the spot and like realistically most of us are like 20 something years old we've been working for like two three years like we didn't an undergrad you know like it's not that much and you're like panicking you're like i need to make a decision and like you know that that person will pick up the, the phone for you right or help you make that decision like that's kind of my test i guess for will that be and it's really hard to find those people um, but at the same time you're in an early stage venture so you know that you might go through some people who act kind of as mentors advisors at the beginning yeah. and you kind of give them a bit of a test and you do have a bit of a relationship but eventually you'll find kind of 
those special people. So like finding a mentor is really just one piece of building a business. How do you build a network of people who can actually support you both personally and professionally when you're going through the ups and downs of entrepreneurship? Richard and I actually had a good had a good discussion about this. Uh, actually, would you, would you say you have at the moment at this current point in time a really sound support system in place? Like person or our team? Personally, like for yourself, not for your team or your business, but for yourself as an entrepreneur, you obviously have like multiple different obstacles you're facing or just time constraints. So do you feel like you have the right people around you to understand your professional um, ambitions and your goals for your company and to really help you um, strike the right balance. I think like getting your, your family on board is like super important. Like for my family, thankfully they were pretty open to me being an entrepreneur, but at the same time I graduated and part of that thing is, you know, you're supposed to get a job and I didn't get a job, you know, like, so I remember I was kind of talking and, you know, they were like, Oh, I work in this velocity garage. You know, they thought it was some like mythical fairy tale or something. <laughs> I, I live in, it. I remember I brought my parents there one day for a tour and I spent like an hour giving them a tour. I just walked them <clears> through <throat> the place and I was like, I'm not working at this job or this job because I want to do this. And it was like a really intense, like, one hour right. we spent together and my mom was like you know, this is too much and my dad's just like yeah you know I get it right. um, and you know I try to have my sister's uh, she eats lunch with me sometimes um, at the garage so I think bringing people who are important to your life to the space where you're doing your work doing. physically see what you're doing I think especially from a software technology perspective that's really important because people just think this technology and all this thing just comes from some like black hole right. or something yeah. um, and to be honest like, it's not much it's just people but right. I think that's super important yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more that comes into play in like building that sports structure. Like even this year too, I've been looking at like some of the things I'm going to prioritize for this year, and like I, I like to think of it as almost like the way you build a business is the way you should build your life. So you have business pillars really, and like for my life, it's like some of my my right now my number one priority is just health. It's like okay, right. so in the morning I'm going to prioritize everything. That's that's my time. That's what I'm going to do. So right. that out of that I can help other people I can stay sane right. and then I would say number two is definitely like that support network is really just kind of having those people where you can have the conversations if you're not feeling good or anything else or you just want right. to bounce ideas off of so if I'm like to be honest and like I'm like 100% content with mine like I'd probably say no but I also say we should always not really always be completely content right. with who we have in our network because yeah. we should always be keeping an open minds for people that we can include in our network in the future. So yeah, I'm not content, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good mindset to have. Um, I definitely have people, um, this is going to circle back to mentee a little bit, mentor, mentor, <laughs> mentor a little bit. Um, but I have a, a person that I definitely, he, he works <laughs> as my mentor, but also as a person I could literally talk about anything with. Right. And, um, I know him for two and a half years now, I think, and I, I mean, I've seen him three, four, five times a week. <laughs> <laughs> I spend like so much. I probably spend more time with him than a lot of other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But outside of him, outside of other advisor, like professional life, um, I think personally, in your personal life, you, it's good to surround people with similar goal and ambition. Right. I mean, we, and then just like pushing each other. Um, to go further, to go like work harder in your business, yeah. and in this community, it's not hard to find those group of people to kind of like work up with, and you know, like those people are, like really fun too. It's not just all about work. You know? <laughs> yeah. How do you guys deal with disagreements with your co-founder or with anyone in your team, for that matter? Yeah. Do you find that there's like a bit of a like? Are you scared to 
go past that boundary where you have to kind of really strongly challenge them on I, something. I, I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem that people have different opinions on how to do things. Um, for us, we have one very simple rule. Uh, I'm doing I'm mainly heading the business side, and he mainly doing the technology side. So we could discuss and debate, but at the end of the day, if it fall under either business, then I would make the last call, and if it fall under technology, he will make the last call, mm-hmm. and then we trust each other that this right. is the best decision. And you're a team of two, right? Right now, we're a team of two. Yeah. Okay. So our co-founder come and goes, um, but the co-founder that stick um, with me, I, I met him since first year as well. Great guy, very smart. Um, when I first met him, I thought, you know. <laughs> I thought he didn't really like me. Maybe I don't know. Uh, we, we went, uh, no, I'm just fight. Yeah, yeah, I never had a fight. No, no, I'm just kidding. He, he really chill guy. Very, very chill. Um, he very smart as well. I think he's compliment me. <laughs> I say the same thing sometimes. I love walking encyclopedias. Yeah, yeah. No, no, he's, he's a great guy. And I mean, we just have to trust each other. I think trust is such a huge component to both of us. Um, I trust him that he looking out for the best of the company and he trusts me that I'm making the best decision because sometimes some of the decision is very scary at the time to take and you don't know where it's going to be headed but if you have trust you kind of make it through a lot of the problems. And I think you need to have trust, especially when you're, I think, so all of us are a team of two right yeah. now. I guess. I was, I've been watching a bunch of videos from right. um, from Berkshire Hathaway, so from like Charlie Munger and things. And if you read about how their organization operates, it's what they call like a web of trust. Right. And I think if you start that at the beginning with two people, hopefully yeah. your 100%. company grows that. So in terms of rejection, what would you say is one of your core rejections <clears throat> that you have? About startup or about <laughs> girlfriends? It can be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it can be like startup focus like one particular um, rejection that has really stood out to you or molded your future <laughs> 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 yeah so I mean like so so 2016 was like a really really hard year for me because I, I actually didn't really think I was going to do a startup I wanted to just get a sec job as a user experience designer somewhere right. like or as a product manager that's like was my like only goal and I applied to like a thousand jobs I did interviews at at most of the big five technology companies and didn't get any job offers and I was kind of like oh like that sucks then I started doing shelter and and, um (laughs) and then I ended up uh work on shelter and then I remember one day like I was working on a on a really big partnership with one of the um I guess holdings companies slash property management companies in town that's all over Ontario and we've been working on this for like two weeks and then it came back as a no just like all of a sudden I was like whoa like what is this? Like, I just couldn't believe it. And like, it, it struck me. Like I like couldn't get out of bed in the morning. Like my co-founder came over and he like brought me a burrito and we just like watched TV for the day. Cause I was right. like, wow, like this, yeah. like this is rough. So that was probably like my hardest moment. I think you can deal with a lot of rejection, but there's some days that you just hits you all of a sudden. Right. And then you, you have to like figure out like what yeah. the fuck happened basically yeah. is what you have to it's like a gradual build up. Yeah. Like that's why you have to kind of constantly always be evaluating yourself. And that's why like mental health and, in startup scene is like super important as well. Right. Yeah, you take care of especially on some of the things that um, yeah. you expect to come through in it. <clears throat> yeah, because yeah. the startups are based off of false hope at the end of yeah. the day. Yeah. Like that's the only thing that you drives you. Long. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. Mm. 
We're all just staring at Wes. Like, tell us about rejection. Yeah. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about this this year. My theme for 2017 is actually rejection. Right. And it's getting better at handling it. And I think even just through hearing, like, Will's story, since we're close, keep in touch. And it's like, yeah, dealing with that, I know I'm going to have to go through the exact same thing. Maybe not exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> close. I don't wish it upon anybody, but I'm just preparing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I think it's hard, though, to Wrong strike people. the balance between uh, having a somewhat decent personal life and a professional yeah. life. If you're, like, hyper-ambitious, what's your general state? We've been talking a lot about this, about, like, the integration of both. Of... Of like oh. professional, like them being the same. Oh yeah, I'm talking about that. I don't think there's work anything life such as work life balance. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's really yeah. just like, especially in startups, it's something you care about a lot, mm-hmm. and a lot of us have struggled with this problem. So it's like, our work is also our life, right. and so being okay with that, and being okay with like, okay, yes, maybe like relationships you can't prioritize right. as much as some of these other things. So finding whatever balance makes you happy, I think, is really important. Agree, and yeah. So if you find yourself after a couple months we're not happy like I know when I was working at our job it was like I just wasn't feeling it for like the last like probably three months and so yeah being able to really just kind of give yourself opportunities to find other things that really do kind of bring back balance so for me some of those things would be like meditation or something like that where it's like that's one of the ways where I've been able to really bring a lot more balance to my life where it's like just able to focus more so yeah true yeah, yeah, I think Wes <clears throat> hit all the main points already. <laughs> so, the second time you're saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> uh, it's just like Richard's go. No, 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 no. I, I'm, clearly you have something to say. I won't be baited into answering the personal life question in this one. <laughs> but uh, talk about rejection. I can talk about that. Um, I think when, when we first started, we have a lot of rejection yeah. and the, the first few is like the hardest to take you know yeah. um, you prep for that and then obviously the last in, in like now nowadays you don't really get hit as hard as much when you get rejected I kind of look at my co-founder it's like, like rejection immunity ah. yeah. yeah yeah. you, you kind of like ah oh, you know let's move on like especially some of the stuff that we apply to nowadays see that's why I think for some of the stuff that hit you hard will is because you will it's almost like a step in your path to success and then when that falls through you feel empty you feel like fuck like yeah. what should I do um, for us I mean that could happen as well where yeah. some of the things that we're hoping to get and it falls through then we will feel like that but some of the rejection that we have now is something just on the sideline that would be nice to have but mm-hmm. yeah. doesn't really impact us that much and so we kind of like brush it off most of the time I think for me more than rejection it's like handling criticism um, like I think with the nature of the work I'm doing it's very very prone to criticism and I think sure. when you just put so much of yourself into the work you're doing and it's not always received well by like because you're dealing with such a vast audience and they're so different from one another so when one person doesn't like resonate with it and then you get that criticism it's really just like I remember after a mental health dialogue it really clicked with some people and for others it was just a little too hefty or they were just their communication style around the topic was different and I remember receiving my first piece of criticism from that event and it 
broke me down. Like I was literally took me a week to recover from one piece of criticism <laughs> because I was so emotionally tied to the topic. And then I put so much effort in. Like I know how hard it was to pull off that event. Um, we were incredibly understaffed in terms of volunteers. I also had a really busy um, week at work because I do work full time outside of my social ventures. So I knew that I was like on the little fine line at the edge of a cliff. Essentially, like that was the last step yeah, for me. So when you get that criticism, it's like, oh my god. And that's the issue I think innately with like not the issue but a challenge you need to um, face with social ventures in particular because even though you are like working for the greater good uh, you're going to be criticized like it's just human nature not everyone is going to like everything but it's like when you're like thinking about the well-being of your community and it's not like always received well you sometimes have those moments where you're like oh like who am I doing this for or like why yeah. am I doing this and I that's like the most difficult thing to deal with I definitely feel that um, sometimes you gotta step back and untie yourself to the product yeah and just like but separation is so yeah the separation yeah. is huge and I, I mean I totally understand what you mean because in my field work too sometimes you feel like man they definitely do not want me to work in this field at all, you know? Like, <laughs> suddenly, like, hmm. And you know what? I think it also, like, you have to sometimes be really brave to work on, social, uh, like, certain things. Like, whether it's, like, a social challenge or something you're seeing in the community that you want to, like, I think entrepreneurship is a lot about courage and, and guts to actually do something ground up about it. I think it's because perception of positive change is, like, you, what you think is a positive change other people don't. Yeah. Like, I guess I see that a lot with the work I did. Like, we, we moved our first student um, into his residence and just, you know, as a bit of a thing, or his off-campus residence, and the thing we did is we, like, literally moved his stuff, like, my co-founder and I with our car to do it just as a nice gesture, but the people at the office, they felt, like, threatened by that, and we're like, no, we're just, like, trying to help out, Yeah. and it's kind of yeah. weird how this feedback you get sometimes really just creates these, like, conflicts in your mind, a good way to evaluate your business, I think, but um, tough to so take Do you think sometimes. that the entrepreneurial ecosystem is quite competitive in nature? So I, I think we should get a little bit controversial here. Potentially. I kind of disagree with a lot of what I'm seeing with like the like female initiative things that are going on in town here. Because when I talk to people who aren't female entrepreneurs, they feel that they can only do fierce founders or they right. feel that there's this fall. A lot of what's happening in this community from the startup ecosystem, not even females, it's the sense of false competition, right. yeah. which is really empowering. Like at the end of the day, most things funding everything in this region are like government grants, whether yeah. it's Canadian Digital Media Network, the government directly. I think just adding female to a boot, and I'm saying this as a woman myself, yeah. doesn't make it inclusive by any means. Like it's more about uh, within that boot camp itself, like there's yeah. still the same challenges that exist. By making it female like only, you still have like a network. You can't isolate like one huge group of the community and make them work with one another. You're still dealing with the same um, like social groups or connections. So yeah. it's about integrating gender <clears throat> into like our day to day yeah. life. And yeah, like at the end of the day, you can't divide and conquer. It needs to be integration in my opinion. Yeah, segregation is not going to really help. Yes, it's great because you're getting more attention <clears throat> and support and expertise. But once you're out of there, you have to reintegrate back into the, the regular <laughs> world, which is like as harsh as it is to say and as blunt as it is, it's not easy. So how do we prepare ourselves for that? And I think like that's where we really need to put our focus on, like to do a lot of like empathy, diversity and inclusivity training across all accelerators and incubators yeah. and also senior leadership. Because that's really, like you said, what goes down from uh, to the bottom of the. But it starts at such an early age too. Like if you think of why girls are into maybe like dresses and Barbies or whatever, it's because they play with these dolls when they're young. Did I do when I was younger? I played with like dump trucks and yeah. stuff in my sandbox. And yeah, I think that a lot of that it's like that's why it's really hard to change things at senior levels because these are really big mental models in people's minds. Um, 
Like, I, I think the biggest problem I see is, like, I, w- I would love to work with as a diverse place as possible, like in Velocity, for example, but I think a lot of engineering and a lot of dev culture that we have, especially spinning out of the universities, yeah. ruins a lot of things. Yeah. And I think that is actually also, like, by other things, the, too. Also, like, the so. bro culture, too. I can, like, really speak to the fact that there is, like, an inherent, like, bro culture. Like, it's all the hoodies and sweatpants, and sometimes people just don't fit into that norm. Like, I can never go to work with a hoodie and just, like, track pants and be okay, because that's not me. Like, You're that's not... one, though. No. <laughs> that is not true, but... The video like, podcast. Is, <laughs> I can't see there's no, like, camera here for any reason. But I'm saying, like, it's sometimes you just don't fit into that mold. And so when you don't, it's pretty damn uncomfortable because yeah. you're just, like, there doing Outlier. you and you stand out like a sore thumb. And it's, like, I think, like, half of it is building that inclusive culture, like, in terms of what you value as an organization or an industry is really important. Yeah, I totally agree with that. But, like, how are you going to build that inclusive culture? It's, like, there is, th- right now, if you look at, like, some of the female boot camps, it's, like, it's really just, like, focusing on segregation. Like, the one thing, too, is, like, that we haven't really tackled is like it's not just female only usually it only requires like one female co-founder which right. isn't asking that much really that's yeah. just saying have a little diversity yeah. <laughs> and like you know have one it's right. not that much but what are some other ways you think that you could really kind of bolster that and make it like the norm where it's like it's not like okay right now even at the last event I was at last night right. it was uh, like a velocity party and like the ratio there was probably right. like less than a quarter of actual female people there. It's just right. because our own networks are really just ingrained in like, okay, it's the bro culture, like right. you said. Like, if I look at my own network, I'm like, I know more bros than <laughs> other ones. And right. so it's like, yeah, that's because it's just like, it's so ingrained by so long. Like a lot of our co-founders too is like, that's from like first year or something else that we met right. them and we've had time to develop those relationships. But I'd say, yeah, like to your point too, well, it's like, how do you kind of start that early on? Like that's something that's like starts with your parents, really. Yeah, I think there's two, I think parenting is actually (laughs) such an underrated like concept. Like, yes, it's very like taxing and tolling and it's a lot of time and stuff, but it's something we're not discussing the right way in my opinion. I think like there's so many things we can do differently in terms of not just like, giving your kids like equal opportunities but like changing those gender stereotypes at home or like what kids actually see at home like we're so used to seeing in most parts of the world um like the women in the kitchen or you know looking after and nurturing their families and the men being more absent and like at work or whatever so i think like as a child when you're watching those gender stereotypes like it really does um like take a toll on the kid and that's what you're conditioned to think like okay like this is my path like this is something I should be good at and there's a lot of downward reinforcement too like if you don't fit into a particular oh, it it's totally not a very is. nice uh, environment mm-hmm. to be in yeah. like I tell people sometimes it's like what would be a kind of cool thing I like I'd love to be a stay at home dad some people yeah. look at me and they're like oh that's like weird yeah, it's like no yeah. I could like do freelance design and it's just stay at home so it goes both ways and it's about really like yes I understand there's more room for equity than equality in the sense that you can't just give the equal amount of support to men and women because there is a space for more support and resources that need to be there. But I do realize it's not good to isolate one gender because I don't think that's going to help anything in the startup world or outside, for sure. Equity, equity, not a a quality. Let's talk about the side hustle. So at some point in your careers, I'm pretty sure you guys were balancing whether it's with school or work or whatever. um, How do you define the side hustle and how do you do it? million dollar question so my side hustle I think 
I mean, I've always been a bit of an entrepreneur. Like I sold zucchinis when I was like five years old from my like wagon. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, I cut grass for neighbors and like I like worked on a farm when I was like right. I don't know, 14 years old. So like working was always a natural thing for me. And uh, But I, I, I started this thing called Wilshmore Projects after my first year of university because I, I wanted to get a job doing things that I liked. But unfortunately, I also need to make money. So, like, mowing a lawn became um, part of my company, doing graphic design, doing photography. And I kind of continued that throughout university. So, while I was studying full-time, and I always just did that for random project because our our program and just my personal interests, you can do graphic design. You can do a lot of different skills. So, I said, you know, anything I can do, I'm going to amalgamate into this freelancing thing that I still do um, to this day. I think it teaches you really good discipline because, like, I need to go to school. I need to pass my grades but I also want to pursue my passions. Right. And then I think the goal always is to make your like passions your full-time thing. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have to mm-hmm. also you know, fit the regular structure of the world in some way for a certain amount of time until yeah. it's viable. So Yeah, no, I totally agree, especially with making your passion your full-time thing. Yeah. I think like especially when you're in your 20s, it's really just like, what what is your passion? I'm trying to figure out yeah, what that is. And I think part of... Side topic. Uh, like when you are doing your own thing or right. your own company or your own side hustle, you learn so much more about yourself. And so I think that's really, really important just to have that. But I'm I think we're all kind of in the same boat when we say, yes, we started at an early age doing our own thing and whether it was just like a small business, we we're like, oh, let's learn how to make a buck or something like that. Right. Start off with that sense of my parents' allowance is <laughs> nowhere near enough. Yeah. And then, <laughs> how do I make some more money? And so, yeah, like the side hustle just naturally kind of came out of like what I was doing or if I wasn't content, it was like, oh, let's find something else to do. And so even the reason I'm here right now is because of that exact reason. I was at a job and I wasn't really feeling it and I was you know, struggling with this one problem. And I was like, let's, let's actually just focus on this right now. So in September, I, I started doing it basically an hour a night. Mm-hmm. I just had it blocked off in my calendar. I'm like, that's the start. Right. And then I started getting two hours and then three hours. And then it was just like at that point in time, I think it was just full time. And so that kind of natural transition was just trying to follow that passion and make it something that is full time. Cool. I'm studying full time. Right. <laughs> a, a master's. I'm studying a master's. <laughs> So I'm studying a master, I'm doing my startup, <clears throat> doing a little bit of mentorship, and I'm marking papers. Oh. Yeah, so those those are what's on my plate right now. Um, plus, right now, you know, I, I do like to take times and, like, explore the opportunity. Not startup, I mean, Landmine Boys yeah. is always going to be there. Right. Um, but explore opportunity in terms of, like, just... Play some mental gymnastic, um, trying to okay, what can I do to create more passive income, and just uh, yeah. you know be a little bit more stable. Um, Start an online business. Drop shipping. Well, side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think side hustle is. I think a lot of entrepreneur, if you get into startup, you probably have the drive to. I think it's also about like circumstance. I don't think you can pull that out of the equation. Like I'm still so young. I've never really, I wasn't in co-op, so I haven't had professional working experience. And I think like working for a company now in a full-time role that is really resonates with my core values has helped me like expand my industry knowledge or just learn things that are essentially going to like transfer back into my venture anyway. So no, I I think being in a sales role is actually kind of cool too, because I think I realize like everything in life is selling. Like you're constantly selling your personal brand to other people. Yeah, and you have to, yeah, and like we don't, I never like had the option to take a sales course in my undergrad. 
Um, like, so we, we don't really make the effort of thinking of sales as a potential path and you need it to sell mm-hmm. volunteers onto the problem you're solving or to just sell to a venture capitalist or an investor. Like it's a part of day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So sure. I feel like if you can't sell something, like you can't, it's difficult to, to move forward as an entrepreneur. Thanks for joining us on our second episode of the Dialogue Exchange podcast. You'll hear from us again on Feb 28th with a new set of people, a new topic, and the same us. Leave a comment, hit like if you enjoyed it, and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. Catch you later.